We're going to read together from Paul's letter to the Romans. Many of you know in our church family, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, but we're taking a a short break last Sunday and this Sunday to think about what it means to love others as we begin to gather again. I don't know about you, but I find it a challenge in certain ways uh, to love others at, at this time. It's difficult, isn't it, with so much uncertainty and confusion and fear around Uh, Last Sunday, we looked at what does it mean to love those above us in government, Romans chapter 13. And today, Romans 14 and 15, what does it mean to love the people sitting here beside you in this room and in our church family, loving those beside us? So I'm going to read some selections from Romans chapter 14 and a little bit of chapter 15 as well, not 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 chapter 5 as is printed there, Romans 14 and 15. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Down to verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us, not, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then... Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Well, it's true, friends, isn't it? One of the hardest things 
one of the hardest things for all of us just now is that these are days of division, aren't they? We are separated from each other like never before. Just look at the way that we're sitting today here in this building. Look at, look at the signs all around us in this building and look at the signs all around us in society. Keep your distance. Two meters, please. This week, for the first time, I even saw signs that are out there in parts of Scotland showing two arrows facing the opposite direction saying, when you meet others, please look the other direction. These are days of separation. And that is profoundly sad and difficult, isn't it? We are not made for two meter distancing. We're not made for it. We're not built for it. For isolation, for quarantine, for separation from each other. And these days of division that we're living with, we've watched them, haven't we, being played out globally on a huge and upsetting scale. We are living in days of fragmentation. Things seem to be pulling apart. Think about the race riots in the USA. The divisions in society, the the shrill and even the violent debasing way that politicians speak to one another. I think people at the minute are angry and tired and frightened. I don't know how you're feeling this morning being here. Maybe you're delighted to be here. Maybe you're fearful about being here. Some of you this morning are new to Aberdeen and new to this city, and new to this church family, and you've arrived in our city at a time when it is very tough to be new, and tough to make friends, and to reach out, and to close distances. So all I want to do together this morning, as we look at the Bible together, and listen to God speaking to us through this letter to Roman Christians centuries ago, all I want to do is encourage you with the truth of what God is doing in the world. Tell the truth. I said last week, that is the number one lesson from global epidemics, pandemics that we're living in. The number one lesson is tell the truth. People want the truth. And so here is the truth this morning in front of us. This church in Rome, this church in Rome was a church with all the potential in the world to be divided from each other, to be separated off from each other. There were ethnic, cultural Religious fault lines running right down the middle of this church family. The church in Rome were not all from the same stock or class or race or background. And where you have all those sorts of differences, then tensions quickly arise, don't they? They simmer to the surface in any church family and relationships begin to break and churches divide. But friends, here is the truth. Here is why Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. The truth is that God has kept his promise to Abraham. He is forming one worldwide family. One worldwide family of men and women and boys and girls who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ as King. One family. That is the truth this morning. God is taking people from different places and from divided races and he is making them one. He is uniting what sin has divided, what the world has fractured. And I simply want you to leave here this morning. Here's what I want you to leave with. If you're watching uh, at home, listening 
What I want you to leave with is knowing that God has made you one with everybody else here in this room and everybody else in our church family who's watching. God has made you one. The truth is that what we see happening in our world right now is not all that is happening in the world. No matter how much division you see around you, God is growing one worldwide family of people who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're on your own this morning, here with us on your own, the truth is you are not on your own. And if you're feeling fed up today or frustrated or angry or resentful with those around you in your family or your church family, the truth is that we need to learn again to love each other and treat each other the way that God has treated us in Jesus. Can I just show you this? Everything I've been saying, can I show you this in Romans? You'll you'll see it best if you have your own Bible. In front of you, let me encourage you that although we print the words every week, please bring your, your own Bible, uh, just in case we look around or dot around a little bit. You'll see this clearly if you have it in front of you. We finished our reading at chapter 15, verse 7. But look at the heading of the very next section. Christ, the hope of Jews and Gentiles. See, there is the fracture line in this church. Jews and Gentiles. Two groups that did not love each other. And now they've been placed side by side, seated in the same pew. But friends, let me assure you, if Jew and Gentile had to sit in the same pew, two meter distancing was not enough for them. Five meters, please. A different pew, please. A different room would be best. And now here they are in the same church together. And they're different. And Paul says, the truth is, you are one. You're one. And because you're one, that's my prayer that you will live together in ways that show that you're one. Look at chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, you Jews and Gentiles, you weak and strong, with one another, and in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about oneness. All about oneness. And so you see our passage today is all about how in Trinity Church Rome there were two groups within this church. There were the weak and the strong. Chapter 15 verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And that strong, weak language means strong in faith and weak in faith. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. See, it's very likely that the weak in faith in this church family were mainly Jewish Christians. And the strong in faith were mainly Gentile Christians. And you have these two groups come together as disciples of Jesus and the sparks begin to fly as they sit side by side. And here in Romans 14 and 15, if you read it, the sparks are flying over food, over the calendar and over drink. These believers with weak faith, when they had a church lunch, they could not believe that some of the other believers were reaching for the bacon. 
The Old Testament law said no to that. That was wrong. They couldn't believe these Gentile Christians weren't wanting to keep all the Old Testament festivals and special days. Couldn't believe that they were wanting to drink wine. There is a group of people here in this church offended by another group of people. By how free they think they are in Christ. Here's the Gentile Christian sitting at the church lunch saying to their Jewish friends across the table, get with the program people. Don't you know who Jesus is? He's fulfilled the Old Testament law. That is all behind us. Strong faith in Jesus says you are free. Free to do whatever you want. Jesus makes me right with God and nothing else. No one else. Our friends, Paul, Paul knows this. Make no mistake here, Paul's approach to this issue is not to say, well, look, here's the weak and here's the strong. You're you're probably both right. Let's just compromise. Let's meet in the middle. No, Paul is the great champion of how free we are in Jesus. He sides with the strong in this debate. See that in chapter 15, verse 1? We who are strong. And he says the weak have failings. But now, friends, here's the thing. What do you do with the failings of others? What do you do with the failings of others? Do you know what the world does? you know what the world does with the failings of others? It cancels them. You're out. You're wrong. You're finished. You're not welcome here. Your, your views are different from mine, so please leave. You're a has-been. What do politicians do with the failings of others? We see this every single day on our TV screens at the minute, don't we? What do they do with them? They capitalize on them. They pounce on them. They use them. Your weakness is my opportunity to succeed. Your bowed head becomes my rung on the ladder to climb up and go higher. Friends, my my whole reason for looking at Romans chapter 13 last week and looking at chapters 14 and 15 today is that with us now emerging from lockdown, emerging out of the shadows into being with each other again, we are needing, going to need to learn to love each other well. Five or six months in lockdown changes you. We've all felt it, haven't we? And even if we've been desperate to get back to being with others, as soon as you rub shoulders again with people, you find this at work, you find it at school, you find it in your own family, haven't you? As soon as you rub shoulders with other people again, there will be things that upset us. It's natural, it's normal. The issues for us in our church family are different, aren't they, than here in Rome. It's not food and drink for us or calendar or special days. But for us, I suspect it is masks and distancing and protocols. Some of us have very sensitive consciences. We don't want to get anything wrong or offend anybody. And others of us think this whole thing is driven by irrational fear. It's time to get a grip, crack on with life, get back to normal. And I reckon for everyone in between, there's a whole kind of mix, isn't there, of some of these strongly held convictions. As you begin to rub shoulders again with other people, many of us will find ourselves frustrated and irritable. Convinced that my way is the sensible way, the the rational way, the, the good way. 
Why can't these other people see what I can see and think like I can think the right way? Brothers and sisters, the truth is God is making one worldwide family with Jesus as king. One family with him as king, not me as king or you as king. That is what God is up to today in the world. That is what God is working on. One people from many peoples. And because that is God's great project in the world, then what Paul wants us to do here is learn how to love those people he's put in that family with us. Learn to love those beside you. I want to just give us two ways to do this. Here's how Paul helps us. Two ways. Number one. Loving you well means treating you the way God has treated you. Loving you well means treating you the way God has treated you. If I'm going to love you well, I need to do for you what God has done for you. Did you spot the main command in our passage? There is one main verb. You cannot leave today without without this verb ringing in your ears we shouldn't be in any doubt about what we have to do number one verse one 14 verse one welcome the one weak in faith and right at the end chapter 15 verse 7 welcome one another it's a beautiful thing it means friends that today trinity welcome team five people who signed up today to do welcome team it means trinity welcome team every single week is just an illusion isn't it Five people on welcome team, and that's it. Just five people have to do it every week? No, everyone, every person, all of you, Paul is saying, welcome one another. Welcome one another. We shouldn't really have a welcome team, should we? We should have a welcome church. It should be who we are in our DNA, that it's what we do, we welcome others. Because here's the thing. Treating people like that is how God has treated us. Look at chapter 14, verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. What's the rationale? For God has welcomed him. See, God has welcomed me. God has welcomed you. God has opened his arms to us in the Lord Jesus and said to me in all my sin and my selfishness, come in, come in, let let, let me take your sin from you, leave it here, let me wash you, let me make you clean, sit, eat, drink, be my friend. Because God has said that to me, you need to say that to me. God has welcomed you and I need to say that to you. I wonder if you know that today, if if you've come close to God in Jesus, God is not just tolerating you. God is not just putting up with you. He's not just letting you sneak in at the back as a kind of second class Christian. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to Jesus today, he has welcomed you. See, God is like the father, isn't he, in the parable of the prodigal son. Do you remember that the son had wished his own father dead, taken his resources and wealth and squandered it and spent it. And he comes back and the father runs to meet him, falls on his neck and kisses him. 
Arms open wide. Oh, friends, today, the welcome for you in Jesus is so real, so strong. I love these words of J.C. Ryle. He says this, Do we feel bad and wicked and guilty and deserving of God's anger? Is the remembrance of our past lives bitter to us? Does the recollection of our past conduct make us ashamed? Then we are the very people who ought to run to Christ. Just as we are making no useless delay, Christ will receive us, graciously pardon us, freely give us eternal life, for he welcomes sinners. Paul is saying, so look, if that's what God does, who am I to ever keep you at arm's length? Who am I to ever treat you any different? Good enough for the Lord Jesus, but not good enough for us here, please. Not for me. No, an unwelcoming Christian is a contradiction in terms. It's somebody who takes something from God and refuses to give the same to somebody else. No, it must never be like that. You know, friends, one of the sadnesses today is that we're not all together, that so few of our church family are able to be together uh, in one place at one time. Because I I want today, as we begin to come back together, I want to say thank you to you, to our Trinity family, for all the ways we have tried to love each other through lockdown. It has been really hard, hasn't it? Tough. Tough on different people at different times in different ways. And we have all needed each other profoundly. We haven't got everything right by any means through these difficult months. But I know as a church family, you have tried to reach out, to hold on, to sacrifice, to give. This passage in front of us today is not a big stick to beat Trinity with for how we don't care about each other. For we know that we do. We really do. It's been beautiful to see. And so I want today simply to encourage you today, do not grow weary in doing good, friends. Do not grow weary. Maybe you're tired, six months of this, and still not back to normal. Friends, never forget how God sees that believer that you look at only with irritation. They're so annoying. Six months without them. Now here they are again. They haven't changed. Still the same issues, same problems, same demands. Why don't they change? Why why can't they see that they're getting this wrong? Verse 15 of chapter 14. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Isn't that amazing? Oh, what must that believer be worth to Christ that he laid down his life for them? And I won't let them step on my toes in any way, shape or form. Oh, something's gone wrong, hasn't it, when we don't treat one another the way God treats us. So let me just finish with this. Second one. Number one, loving you well means treating you the way God has treated you. And number two, to finish, loving you well means your growth before my happiness. Loving you well means your growth before my happiness. I want to ask you, what are you going after today? What are you chasing? Happiness or growth? Those are the two options in this passage 
happiness or growth, your own happiness or somebody else's growth. That's what Paul is asking, isn't it? Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Pleasing yourself is easy, isn't it? Doesn't it come naturally? You don't have to work hard to please yourself. We just do it, don't we? I've got the remote. It's my channel. I'm watching what I want. I'll go where I want, when I want. I'll eat what I want. But building is tough. Building is tough. You sweat when you build. Your back aches. Your muscles ache. You have to think about it. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Look at verse 19. Pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Pursue it. See, peace in a church family is not a gas that just descends from the ceiling. You don't enter Queen Street on a Sunday morning and enter a room of peace as if we've sprayed something in the air. Peace doesn't just land on a church family. Peace is built in a church family from the ground up. It's It's a construction effort. You can actually see it. Touch it with your own hands. You build it. Let me ask us, as we begin to meet again, what what concrete steps will we take to overcome separation and to pursue peace and to build our church family? I want to encourage you today to welcome the weak if you are strong. And here's one way I think this will play out over the coming weeks and months. A church family, you have people in it who say, well, we're going to have so-and-so for dinner because we know they're not uptight about all the restrictions. They'll come. They'll come for dinner. But that family over there, they won't come. They're more fearful. So we'll leave them alone. We don't have them. We don't go after them. No, verse 19, pursue what makes for peace. Pursue it. So the family who are difficult to help, what does it look like to help them? How do we do it? As you trickle in here week by week, friends, as the weeks go by, God willing, and we're able to keep meeting and have more services, have your eyes open. Who is not here that used to be here? Who have I not seen by week three or week four? Are they okay? Can I get in touch with them? No gossip amongst ourselves. Did you know so-and-so hasn't been back yet, taking a long time to come back? Must be very fearful. No, how can I serve them? What can I do? How can I help them? Let me encourage you today, friends, over the coming weeks. Let me encourage you, do not let can't go to church become won't go to church. It's easy, isn't it, to let that happen? I have lost count over six months of how many people have told me that they love listening to me in their pyjamas on Sunday morning. I've lost count. So many people said I get a nice cup of coffee, sit in my pyjamas, listen to you. It's just wonderful. And of course, it's fine, isn't it? Living room church, living room church is much easier church, isn't it? And that is fine when you can't go to church. But don't let can't go become won't go. You in your living room and me in my living room, 
does not display to the world how God is taking two different people and making them one. Joining incompatible people together in the Lord Jesus. No, we need you. We need you. Don't let can't go become won't go. If you can eat out to help out, you can church out to help out. To help the weak, to help the needy, to help the fearful. I saw on Twitter a while ago, somebody said this, In a time like now, Christian neighboring looks less like fearful self-preservation and more like servanthood towards the elderly. Servanthood towards those with HIV, autoimmune disease, or no health care. Servanthood toward fatigued and under-resourced health care workers. Wash hands for sure, yes. Then wash feet. It's true, isn't it? Do you know in times of great plagues in history, as much as we've used the word unprecedented, it's the main word people have used, isn't it, in six months, it is not actually unprecedented. Many, many people have been here before. And in times of great plagues, Christian people have distinguished themselves as true saints, ministers who refused to flee their people when others were fleeing, healthcare workers who kept helping, And ordinary Christian people who just kept saying to others around them, you first, your needs first. What can I do to help you? What will lessen your fear? What will grow your confidence? What will lead you more to see and know the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory? Friends, it's very, very hard to be like Jesus on your own, locked away on your own in your living room. Look at chapter 15, verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. What you're carrying, let me take it from you. Let me help you. Oh, friends, this is the life of faith. What God is doing in the world is more than we can ever see or comprehend. One people. So love as one, act as one, serve as one, lay down our lives as one, and truly with one voice, one voice, we will glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may it be. Amen.